Good morning. My name is Roger Crow. I have been attending Cross Point for about a year and a half with my wife Brittany and our children. Today I will read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body. But the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Am I on? Am I good? You look so good back there. It's good to see you. Well, um, by way of introduction, my name is John Watts. Um, for those of you that I haven't had the opportunity to meet, um, I used to be a pastor here. Uh, I pastored here from 2016. Uh, to about 2019, and my wife and I uh, have been members here. I've been a member here since about, or from about 2012 to 2020, and my wife has been, was a member here for quite longer than I have. She grew up in Eureka. Um, her parents, all of her family is here, and so we're, out of, we're here visiting from out of town, and uh, it's good to be with you this morning. If you do have a Bible, uh, please get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we are going to be preaching through the text that was read by Roger this morning. Uh, and Roger, thank you for reading that. Um, have you ever been in an environment or a place where you felt like you didn't belong? You didn't fit. You wanted to fit in. You wanted to belong, but you couldn't. I uh, grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and moved to the central Illinois area when I was 16 and changed schools quite a bit as a child. Uh, I was a pretty social kid, right? Like, I, I love to um, meet people, interact with folks. 
you know, uh, any of you who know me know I'm a talker. And, um, but by the time I got to my third high school my junior year, I was just done. I was just done. I was, ca- I was cashed out. I felt lost. And for the first time in my life, I actually felt like I didn't fit in. I actually never ate in the cafeteria my junior year. Uh, sometimes I would go get food in the cafeteria, maybe go out to my car, eat by myself. Um, and even a couple times went into the bathroom and sat in a stall and ate by myself. Again, like I said, it was the first time in my life where I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like I belonged. And I didn't really know what to do with that. And so I just spent time alone. We all, every single person in here wants to belong somewhere. That's why just the idea of home is so powerful. It just grips our hearts. This is why family is so strong. And the the pull to having a strong and healthy family is good. But this longing to belong is also why many families can be dysfunctional and unhealthy. It's why the job that, you know, maybe you thought you would love actually turned out to be a disappointment. It's also maybe why the church that you've attended didn't feel quite right. Because you wanted to belong. You desire to belong. You want a home but you can't find one. That's why many people, right, get depressed or start despairing, right? If you dig into someone's depression long enough, oftentimes what you'll find is that traces its way back to feeling like they they don't fit, that they don't have a home, they don't have a family, that they don't belong. Feeling homeless feels hopeless. And our longing to belong actually shows us why the gospel is so powerful, right? Because when Jesus rescues us from our sin, he doesn't just save us from our sin individually and give us new life individually. No, no, no. He gives us a new name. We're in Christ. We're put in a new family. We have new friends. We're now in Christ and we're brought into a new group of people, a new culture, as it were, the church. You see, because in the church, you actually gain the family that you didn't know you needed. Paul is continuing in 1 Corinthians 12 to unpack this idea of spiritual gifts. And Pastor Dave talked about that last week. He talked about how even though, you know, there are varieties of gifts, there's the same spirit. We are one church. Even though we're different, we're the same. We're all a part of one family. And Paul is continuing to unpack the nature of the church, how the church works, how it functions. And he talks about how these gifts of the Spirit work in and through the body of Christ to proclaim the good news of Christ in a local place. And that in that local place, uh, there's a diversity of gifts in the body. The problem with the Corinthians is that they thought one gift was better than all the other ones. The gift of tongues. Speaking in languages not known by others, and they lifted up this gift at the expense of other gifts. It was the the one gift to rule them all, as it were. And it created a cult of superiority in the church and continued to drive a massive wedge of division between God's people, right? And Paul has been addressing this division over and over and over again. You guys have seen this as you've gone through the letter of 1 Corinthians, right? He addresses the division in chapter 1 and then just goes through issue after issue after issue, showing that the resume of the Corinthian church is actually not very impressive. The church was dysfunctional and divided. 
But in order for us to understand the gifts, we actually have to understand how the church works. And that's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 12. He gets into kind of the, 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 the details of the gifts a little bit, but really what his emphasis is, is here's what the church is. Here's how it functions. This is why Paul spends quite a bit of space doing this because the reality is, friends, we, we often misunderstand how the church works and how the church functions. And if we do that, it actually promotes division, not unity. And so I, I would like to take our time, since the passage has been read, I'd like to take some time to pray uh, before we jump in and just talk about this interesting illustration that Paul gives of the church as a body. Let's pray together. Um, Father, um, I need you desperately. Uh, I thank you that you've given us the scriptures, um, that we can search the scriptures and we can see Christ clearly. Lord, I pray that Christ is proclaimed this morning, um, that the body is built up in Christ, that we are encouraged. And so, Lord, what we, what we could never be on our own, would you make us that this morning? What we could never see on our own, would you show us that this morning? And God, would you help us as the body grow in our union with one another? God, that Crosspoint would continue to be a church that loves the church to your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so um, I want to start in verses 12 through 13, and one of the things that you see, this is, this is going to sound like a repeat of what Pastor Dave preached last week, because 1 Corinthians 12 through 13 serves as the linchpin between two ideas. The first idea is this, the body is one. We, as the body of Christ, are one family. And then verses 14 through 31 in chapter 12 talk about how the body is different. The body's one and yet diverse. So the body is one, verses 12 through 13. The first thing that I want you to see is that the Spirit empowers His people, right? He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. Now this is it's interesting because we know that Paul is talking about the church. And so the expectation would be that Paul would say, so it is with the church, right? All the members of the body, though many, are, are one body. So it is with the church. But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, so it is with Christ. What's he talking about? Well, Paul is trying to make the, the, the point that you, Christian, are one with Jesus. You're one with Christ. Jesus, who rescues you from sin, who died under judgment and rose from the grave, authenticating God's defeat of sin and death. That's what the resurrection did. It authenticated the fact that death is defeated, that sin is defeated, that the power of sin no longer has dominion over you. And that while we still deal with the presence of sin, the penalty of sin is gone. We are declared by God not guilty because of Jesus. And he has sent his spirit to us as God's people at the moment of our conversion, empowering us and giving us an ability to minister that we never have before. Meaning you, Christian, when you came to Christ in faith, you were given an ability through the power of the Spirit to make Christ known to people in a way you never would have been able to do otherwise. You're gifted and you're called to minister grace to others. And God does not just take your natural abilities and make them stronger, right? It's not like the Spirit injects like spiritual steroids into your talents that give you an extra effectiveness. That's not what happens. He gives you an entirely new power that you didn't have before to carry out the good works that he's prepared for you beforehand. And that same spirit fills every single person God has saved. You have been given the same measure of the spirit as I have, 
as any of the pastors here have, and as any of the saints of old have, we all have the same spirit working in and through us, and that spirit unites us to Jesus. You're one with Christ. You're so bound up in Christ that the Bible over and over again describes you positionally as being in Christ. That's where you are. That's where you're located. You're in Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means you're hidden with Christ. It means that you're, you're one with him, that you're united to him, that you're commanded to abide with him, right? That's John 15. But not only are you commanded to abide with him, but you're baptized into Jesus. You've died with Christ. Or as Paul the Apostle says, your sins have been nailed to the cross. But not only have you died with him, you've also been raised to new life with Jesus. And so when God looks at you, friends, he sees his son. Instead of your failure, he sees the son's triumph. Instead of your rebellion, he sees the son's unwavering allegiance. Instead of your transgression, he sees the son's obedience. You're hidden with Christ in God, as Paul says in Colossians 3. You have access to the divine nature because you've been filled with the Spirit. You are spiritual people. Not because you attend a religious gathering. Not because you stamped your, 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 you know, your, your, your life with the stamp of church membership. Because you've been filled with the Spirit. And that does something to you. Once you're filled with the Spirit, you're not the same anymore. You now identify with Christ, not your old life. But you're not just one with Christ, are you? Paul talks about you're one with each other. You're one with Christ, and you're one with Christ's people. Notice how Paul is taking the work that Christ does, and he applies it to the community. One of the interesting things that we tend to do when we read the Bible is we, we kind of individualize every single passage, right? So we look at the passages in the Scriptures, and we're like, what does this mean to me? But one of the interesting things that we see Paul doing here is he's not applying this to a singular person. He's implying that, applying this to a singular people. Meaning that Christ isn't just redeeming you individually. He's redeeming us together. And he's doing something through us together as his people, proclaiming the good news to a lost and a dying world that Christ has come and made a way for those who are far from God to be brought near. And the only way that that can be proclaimed is through church unity, through a collective body of people proclaiming that good news. Because you know what your unity does? It authenticates the goodness of the gospel because it says that even though we were divided, even though we come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, even though some of us are rich and some of us are poor, even though we have different ethnic backgrounds, different politics, different preferences, we are one with Christ and we will stand with him. And that authenticates the good news to a lost and dying world that actually sees the church unified and can say, wow, maybe those crazy people are right. Maybe God is real. Maybe he is actually doing something here. Maybe the kingdom of light is actually overcoming the kingdom of darkness. And maybe there is hope when I thought there wasn't hope. Our oneness in Christ is greater than our socioeconomic and ethnic differences. Look, look at what Paul says in verse 13. He says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And what does he say? Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. Think about this. In the first century, woven into the fabric of the economic system in the first century, there were people who had slaves. Now, these weren't slaves like you, you, when you think of like the trans, transatlantic slave trade. It, it, wasn't, it didn't work like that. But the same, this, the, it's, it's very clear that they are slaves. 
These are people who, are, who have given their lives over to serve an earthly master. They lived with them. They did what they were told. They helped them kind of with things around the house or with the kind of greater economic impact of that, that, that house, right? So if they owned land, maybe they were working in the field. Maybe if they, they manufactured clothing, the slaves would help them kind of manufacture clothing and sell it in the marketplace. Whatever it looked like, these slaves were doing it. But then when the gospel reached the community, people started coming to faith in Christ. You know what happened? Masters would get saved. Slaves would get saved. And then they would come together in the church. Now that's awkward. And yet Paul, over and over again in the scriptures, do you know what he says? You guys are equal. You're not different. One of you is not superior to the other. In fact, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And whether you're ethnically Jew or ethnically Gentile or, or poor or rich or a slave or a free person, you are all one in Christ. That's craziness. That's why when Paul went preaching the gospel throughout the book of Acts, especially when he gets to the city of Thessalonica, do you know what they say? You know what they accuse Paul of? They say, these guys are turning the world upside down. They're messing with our economy. They're messing with our infrastructure. They're proclaiming that Jesus is king and not Caesar. They're turning the whole world upside down. Because the gospel changes people and he makes a new family. And that new family makes a difference in a place. Our oneness with Christ is greater than our ethnic and socioeconomic differences. We live in a world that equates unity with sameness, don't we? That you and I actually can't have unity unless we agree on every jot and tittle of whatever there is to argue about. Right? Think about that. Well, if we disagree on politics, I guess we can't be friends. And if we get together, we're just going to fight and duke it out over our politics. Or maybe, you know, maybe we just, we have different cultural backgrounds and you don't understand me and I don't understand you. So we're just not going to hang out together. Or maybe we love to do this in the church, right? We're just going to argue over this thing and about what it says and, you know, different truths and different doctrinal perspectives and what we think is different and all of these things, and then all of a sudden you see angry people dropping three-letter words or three-syllable words that you never heard before, you know, and you're like, what is he talking about? I just, I just want to read my Bible and love Jesus. Here's my point. We live in a world that equates unity with sameness, but we have scriptures that actually tell us that we don't need to achieve sameness here to have unity. Think about that for a moment. Now, what does that mean? That means that the church's unity, in my opinion, is one of the greatest ways that we can take the lead in a culture that is crying for unity and thinking that it means sameness. That means in the church, we have, we have so prioritized the good news of Christ that we don't avoid difficult issues, but we talk about them in love. You see the difference? Right? So we don't avoid talking about hard things like politics. But what we do is we do it in love for one another because that's the, the aim. That's the end. And we go out of our way to hang out with people that are not like us. Meaning if we have a little bit of money and we're in maybe a different tax bracket, we might hang out with some poor folks and love them well. Or if, we're, if, if we don't have money and we find ourselves in a lower tax bracket, we're not intimidated by the rich. But we engage them and love them, recognizing that we're one in Christ. That we don't have to be the same to love one another, 
but that we can actually see our differences as a means to make our unity stronger. That's what Paul is getting after in 1 Corinthians 12, that your differences in Christ actually bring you together because each one of you is useful in different ways in the hands of a redeeming God. It's a unity that doesn't come at the expense of our differences, but instead is propelled forward as the Spirit works in and through our differences. The body's one, but the body's also diverse, right? This is where Paul takes his argument in in verse 14. And, you know, oftentimes when we talk about diversity in the church, we talk about it ethnically or we talk about it, you know, economically, right? So the poor, the rich, you know, the, the, the white, the black, the Jew, the Greek. But Paul is actually after a different kind of diversity. I think it's a diversity we, we, we miss out on talking through often. And it's the diversity of gifts and functions of different members in the body. Right? We typically frame our conversations around one kind of diversity, but Paul's going to em- emphasize a different kind of diversity here. And so how is the church diverse? Well, it's diverse because each member has a distinct role. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, and I love Paul's uh, analogy here, because he, he shows how ridiculous this sounds. He's like, well, like, you know, if a foot should say to the hand, like, nah, well, I'm not a hand, so I just don't belong to the body anymore, right? Or, or if the eye should say, well, I'm not an ear, so I, I don't really belong to the body anymore. Paul's like, no, that's ridiculous. Of course you belong to the body. He says, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, verse 17, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, listen to this, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So each member has a distinct role. Think about, think, think about how this masterfully engages the Corinthian issue, right? The Corinthian issue is tongues are better than all other spiritual gifts. If you speak in tongues, you have a level of superiority over the people of the church. You have a, you have a greater measure of the spirit. God's just working in you different. You have an anointing on you, right? Paul's saying, no, that's nonsense because everyone has been given the spirit and been arranged by God. God's actually done this on purpose. And so here's the thing, and I, I, when I say gifts, oftentimes when we hear gifts, we hear individual talents and abilities. I don't want you to think about individual talents and abilities when I say gifts for a moment. I don't want you to just think of gifts simply as individual spirit-empowered abilities. Now, here's the thing. The gifts are no less than that. They are definitely individual spirit-empowered abilities that you, you had no ability to do before you knew Christ. But instead, what I want you to think of these as is ministries. Think of these gifts as various ministries, and here's why. You can't have a ministry without people, can you? Think about it this way. If um, I came to, to, this morning I'm exercising a preaching, teaching gift, okay? Now, now it's it's a preaching and teaching ministry. Now, think about what would happen if I came in here and I just talked to an empty room. Would that actually be helpful for anyone? Yes or no? What do you think? This is, you, huh? If it's on video? Yeah, Pastor Dave did a lot of that back in, back in 2020, I remember. But let's say it's not on video. Nobody can see it. Is that actually beneficial for anyone? No. No, it's not. 
would it, would it maybe make me feel better about myself if I could just come up here and wax eloquent to an, to an empty room? Maybe. But it's not beneficial to anybody. See, when we think about the spiritual gifts as, as individual talents, we start to do something that's really dangerous and we start to err toward the Corinthian problem. We treat the spiritual gifts as some kind of Christian personality assessment like the, like the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram. Maybe you're not familiar with those. Maybe you're just familiar with personality assessments in general. So you're like, ah, you know what? You're a prophetic kind of Christian because, you know, you're a jerk, but when you're a jerk, you're right, <laughs> right? Or, you know what? You're, you're, you just have really loving gifts because you encourage people and you make them feel so good about themselves. But here's the problem. When we look at these as individual gifts and talents, what we do is we, 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 we look at the ability and we do it to lift up the person actually doing the function. So here's, here's how we do this kind of in, in real life. Think about it this way. Uh, any, any of you kind of guys in the room or folks who follow with the NFL, the, the NFL combine has been going on and you have these like machine-like men doing ridiculous amount of things with their body. They have incredible talent. And when I see a guy, like, jump high enough to, like, dunk on a 15-foot rim, I think, man, that dude's awesome. Or what about an artist who paints an amazing picture? Most of us, when we look at a, we'll look at a picture that's been painted by a brilliant artist, we think about how amazing the artist is, how talented they are, how good they are. Talents exalt individuals, but the spiritual gifts don't exalt individuals. They exalt Christ. You see the difference? It's like this. The talents of a great musician get lost in the unity of an orchestra, don't they? Right? Becky, I'm going to call you out, or, or, or uh, one, one of y'all, because I know y'all got banned. What is, like, the name for somebody who plays a flute? I couldn't. A flautist. Thank you. I, I was going to say flutist and make myself look terrible, so thank you. Um, but a good flautist serves to make the orchestra look amazing, not themselves look good. And it's when the orchestra is all playing together that you really actually see the true beauty of it. In the same way, when you exercise your gift to the glory of God, you make Christ look amazing as the church is serving as a unified whole, playing the song of redemption over and over and over again in a community. It only works when the church works together. Look, you can come in here and, and Pastor Dave could like slay it with a sermon. But if the body's not doing the work of the body, it's pointless. Because the gospel's not actually being preached. It might be proclaimed through the ministry of Dave. But if, it's not effect, if the word of God is not affecting change and motivating the people of God to act and see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what's the point? Each of you has a ministry here. Do you believe that? You do. I promise you. You have a ministry here. And so don't discover your gifts like a personality assessment by looking inward and trying to analyze your desires. No, no, no. Step outward. Serve. Raise your hand. If there's a need, meet it. You might find that you're actually really, really good at something. Do you know how I found out I could teach? I had no idea I could teach. No idea. I found out because uh, one day, Becky, when she was serving as the children's ministry director, was having a hard time finding teachers for the fifth grade class in Sun Chasers. And I just said, like, sure, I'll give it a shot. I had no idea. I was terrified to stand in front of people. I didn't really want to do it. I didn't think it would, like, actually affect change because I was like, what fifth grader is going to listen to me? I got nothing to say to them that's helpful. 
And yet the Lord used that to, to show me that, like, I had a ministry here at this church, at this church. And so maybe you know of something or a need that needs to be met in the church. And you're just kind of looking back like, man, like somebody will do it, right? Maybe God's calling you to do it. Maybe God will use that opportunity to show you that you had a gift that you had no idea you had and a ministry that you had no idea existed. So think of the gifts as ministries and ministries to people, to people. Our gifts are a means to love the church. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. And you guys are going to hear that next week. The aim and the end of all of our gifts is love. Love to others and worship and glory to God. In other words, God has made you spiritual people in Christ so you can love others the way Christ loves others. Serving them in the way that Christ serves others. And he doesn't abandon you to that impossible task. He gives you everything you need for it. That's why Paul can say in Philippians 2.12, he tells the church to do something really difficult. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Raise your hand if you think that sounds easy. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. No, it's not easy. But then he says how they can do it. He says, for God is at work in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Meaning, you can do it because God's at work in you. God is propelling you to do that. He's causing you to do that. He's changed your heart. He's given you a desire for holiness that you never had before. And he's given you the ability to walk it out. And you're going to stumble and fumble your way through it. And you're going to fail. And guess who's going to be right there with you the whole time? Christ. The Spirit's going to fill you, and the Spirit's going to enable you to keep growing, to keep going. It's how Paul can say to the Colossian church, Him we proclaim, we proclaim and preach Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we can present everyone mature in Christ. Does that sound easy? For Paul to preach the gospel in such a way that every single person who hears what he has to say will actually be presented to Christ when he returns on the last day, fully mature and built up? My goodness, that sounds daunting, doesn't it? It's daunting. This church has been trying to do that for the last 20 years, and there's still work to do. That's hard. But in Colossians 1.29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with his energy that works powerfully in me. So where's Paul's confidence? It's not in his eloquence. It's not in his youthful zeal. It's not, in his, it's not in his talents and abilities. It's in this mysterious energy coming from God, descended on him by the power of the Spirit that actually works and empowers him for the ministry that God gave him as an apostle of Christ in the first century. God has given each of you a role to play here. And I know, I know that the elders are chomping at the bit to help you figure out what that is. But you can't expect them to do all the work for you. At some point, you've got to raise your hand and commit to loving others. And one of the most exciting things that I've heard as I've talked to Dave, because I've asked him, I'm like, hey, how's everybody doing? Like, what's, what's going on? This is happening. You guys are doing it. You're doing it. You're being the church. You're stepping out in faith, trusting God to meet you in the, un in the discomfort of ministry. And God is meeting you here, and he's working. And people are coming to faith, and lives are being changed. And people are confronted with the good news of the gospel and repenting and turning away from their lives of sin and reorienting their entire lives around Christ and who he is. No longer chasing their own desires, but chasing what God has for them here. So that's how. 
the body's diverse. Why is the body diverse? It's really simple. God wanted it to be. Here's what I love about this passage. It shows us that God was really not boring. He puts different folks in life together and somehow through putting people who absolutely should in no way be connected to one another, he puts them together to make Christ known to a community. We have no business gathering together and worshiping Christ together. All of us are so different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different desires, different passions. Right? If all of us just kind of hung out with people who are like us, we all would not be here. But we gather here for what? We gather here to worship and serve the Lord, right? We gather here to make Christ known here. And God's doing it here. He's arranged the members of the body. The fact that you are all not pastors is on purpose. Amen? The fact that some of you are more organized than others is on purpose. The fact that some of you are really irritated with various ministries around here is actually on purpose. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. You've all been brought here by God himself to be a part of what God is doing in Eureka. God's making his people new. He's saving rebellious sinners. He's causing them to confess their sins and turn to Christ. And he's doing that through you, through your work here. He's steadily reforming the hearts of people so that they would love and worship Christ. I got three questions for you. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I don't know where I fit. It's, it's great. It's a good question to ask. I would encourage you to grab a leader here and, and share that with them. But before you have that conversation with a leader, I got three questions for you. I want you to write these down. Maybe if you're, you're in a community group and you guys are getting together this next week, maybe you can talk about these three questions. I think, I think they're huge and they're very, very helpful. And at our church... Um, in Charlottesville that we go to, when I kind of take new members through our, our membership process, I always ask them these three questions. The first one is this. What is one thing about you that if the elders knew here, it would cause them to ask you to do more of something? Right, so what's one thing about you that if the elders knew, like maybe you got it in your back pocket, you're like, mm. but what if they knew that, what would they ask you to do more of if they knew that thing about you? Second question. What is a need that you've seen in the church that's driven you to irritation? What I, the, the way I like to ask this in our, in our new members class, I say, what, what, do you, what do you just not like about the church? Like, what bothers you about the church? Man, there's nothing that gets people, like, quicker in a room to raise their hand and say, oh, this is what, I can't stand this over here, or this, or this, or this. So what is that thing? What's that thing that bothers you about the church that you'd love to see grow and change? Okay, third question. All right, so what's one thing about you that if the elders knew, they'd ask you to do more of, okay? Second question, what's that one thing that kind of irritates you or bothers you about the church? And then third thing, how can you, with self-control and patience, I want you to underline those two things. It's something that Pastor Dave had to remind me over and over again when I was here. How can you, with self-control and patience, take that irritation and turn it into a passion for ministry here? So how can you see that irritate? Because oftentimes what the Lord does is he takes our pain points and the things that irritate us about the church and he uses those to propel us for mission. Because there's no greater motivator for some reason than irritation. I don't know why, but think about it. The squeaky wheel only gets fixed when you're irritated with it and you're just done, right? The WD-40 gets put on the hinge the moment you're just done with it. And you get annoyed over and over and over again. So how can you take that irritation, whatever it is, and with self-control and patience because it's going to go slower than you want i promise 
But that slowness is glorious because God works in the slowness to to make you more like Jesus. So how can you, with self-control and patience, take that irritation and turn it into a passion for ministry here? God has you here at this time for a reason. And I really think your answers to those three questions will give you some perspective and help you discern as to where you fit if you're looking for how you fit. So the body's diverse. You see this in verses 14 through, through uh, 20, and you also see it in verses 27 through 31, right? Where he's like, ah, like, is everybody an apostle? No. Is everybody a prophet? Does everybody speak in tongues? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? What's the answer? No, of course not. So we're all different. But verses 21 through 26 show us that the body actually works together. So the body's one, the body's diverse, and the body works together. There's your three-point sermon. Look at that. Praise God. <laughs> but one of the greatest things that we, about our text this morning is it kind of preaches itself. But verses 21 through 26 are just, they're weird. They're just weird. Right? So this is probably the most confusing part about our passage. And it's important to know that Paul is still working with the analogy between the church and the body. So he's, he's taking the, the idea of the local church and he's showing that the church is like a human body. One and yet many parts. He begins with a remark about the parts of the body thinking they can't do without other parts. So look at verse 21. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I've got, I've got no need for you. You're worthless, hand. Then he says, to the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. So what is he saying here? In verse 22, he's, he's actually talking about these weaker parts that are indispensable, and he's making a distinction between parts of the body that give an appearance of strength like an arm and parts of the body, like a liver, that appear weak but are vital to the body's health, okay? Arms look strong. Livers do not. You actually can't even see a liver. But without a liver, your body will, will not function anymore. He continues pressing the analogy even further in verses 23 through 24. And the temptation for me is to tame Paul this morning, and I'm not going to do it. Because what Paul does is actually kind of weird but he shifts to talking about less honorable and unpresentable parts of the body, contrasting them with presentable parts. So what's going on? Now, let's use our imagination for a moment. Are there parts of your body that are unpresentable? Yes, there are. Are there parts of your body that are presentable? Yes. So what Paul is doing is making contrast with presentable parts, like the face, that all of us leave exposed every, every day. I can see your face. It's not 2020 anymore. I can see you. Right? with parts of the body that are clothed and adorned with greater modesty, as the ESV says. Um, another way you could say this is they're given a sense of decorum, right? There are parts of our body that we cover up. They're, they're less presentable parts. Now, here's what Paul's not doing. This is what we're prone to do. We're prone to think like, man, what parts of the church are presentable and unpresentable? What spiritual gifts are presentable and unpresentable? Paul's not doing that. He's not trying to say that people with... with administrative gifts are presentable and, and people with these gifts over here are unpresentable. He's not making that connection. All Paul is doing is he's trying to make the, the point that appearances can be deceiving. Every part of the body, no matter how, how, how hidden it is or visible it is, is vital to the body's health and progress. In the same way, every single part of the church is vital. The members of the church need one another. We need each other. It can be tempting to believe that you can function well without the local church. 
Some of you in here don't think you need to be a member of a church. You think you're doing just fine. You and your Bible, maybe a couple friends, and you're good. This passage serves as a warning for each of us because what it shows us is that church membership is absolutely essential to your health and progress in Christ. There is no category, I'm, and I'm serious, there is no category of Christianity in the New Testament and in the early church that does not include active involvement and commitment to a local assembly of believers. You won't find it. If you asked a New Testament author, or if you went up to a New Testament author like Paul, and you said, yeah, I'm a Christian, and he said, oh, what church are you a part of? And you're like, ah, I'm, not, I'm not a part of a church. He would look at you silly. Because there's just no category for that in his imagination. Christians are a part of churches. That's how God made us to be. You see it here. The body needs the parts of the body. You can't say, I'm, well, I'm not a part of the body anymore. I'm just a hand. I'm going to go hang out over here. Well, that'd be, that's, that's ludicrous, according to Paul. And here's what I mean. Look, when I say active involvement and commitment to a local assembly of believers, here's what I mean. Regular attendance. You've got to be here. You got to show up. Knowing and being known. Are you set up here at this church in a way that gives you a, a, a place to know others deeply and intimately and opening yourself up to being deeply and intimately known by people? And here's a, here's a, here's a, uh, here's a helpful tip. If you're close enough to the church for her to see your warts, you're moving in the right direction. Right? Think about the, uh, you know, those like, you know, when I go to hotels, they got that like little handheld mirror, and then you, some, sometimes you go up to it and you get the wrong side, and you're like, whoa, I didn't even know that was there. It zooms in on your face really close. Are you close enough to the church for the church to see your blemishes? If you are, you're moving in the right direction. Submission to the elders. Submission's not really a word that we, we, we like, but I'm going to use it here on purpose. Are you committed to walking in submission to the elders of this church and joyfully being pastored by them? Let me say it this way. The elders of this church will stand before God one day and give an account for the members of this church. They will give an account and be held accountable for your spiritual health and vitality. Are you close enough to the church for them to joyfully pastor you? Or are you resistant to their leadership and their leading? Are you like, yeah, yeah, pastor, I know you read this on Sunday morning, but I, I just don't read the Bible that way. Or are you knocking on the door and saying, hey, pastor, you, you said this on Sunday, and it's, it's getting to me. Can you help me understand? Do you, do you see that in my life? Am I, were you talking to me when you said that on Sunday morning? Are you close enough to the church for her to see your blemishes? Sacraments or ordinances, right? Baptism in the Lord's Supper. Are you regularly participating in the Lord's Supper with God's people? Have you been baptized? Look, the scriptures would say, if you're not walking, you, the scriptures would say you are not fully walking in the grace of Christ if you are refusing either one of these. So if you're refusing communion, if you're refusing baptism, you're not walking in obedience to Christ. And maybe you're in here and you've been following Jesus for 20 years and you haven't been baptized and, and there's just, you feel ashamed. Don't feel ashamed. Like, we're with you. Brother, we're with you, sister, and we, we celebrate God working in you and giving you the faith to step out and, and get baptized. And so talk to the elders here about baptism. Press in to the Lord. 
And look, while this isn't everything, regular attendance, knowing and being known, submission to the elders and sacraments, it's a start of what healthy participation in a local church look like. And here's the thing. I want you to know this about the pastors here. And I can say this because I, I know all of them except for Pastor Dave over here. You guys got two of them now. It's confusing. Um, but um, from what I've heard about Pastor Dave, I can speak for him and say that the pastors of this church want you to find a healthy church. And if for some reason you don't feel like you're a good fit here, they have great relationships with folks all around the area and would love to help you find a healthy body to worship in freely. They long for that for you, whether it's here or elsewhere. So tap one of the leaders here and ask them for help if you don't feel like this is a place where you can land long term. final thing I want to point out is simply this. It's verse 20, 25. If the church is working in this way, do you know what the promise is from the scriptures? The promise is that there will be no division in the body and that the members will have the same care for one another. Maybe you're here and you don't feel cared for. as the body grows in its ability to do the work that it's called to do and grows in its understanding of the gifts, you will feel cared for. You will feel cared for because a church that's growing in its ability to exercise the gift cares for its people well. And so if you're not feeling cared for, again, tap one of the leaders here. I know they would love to help you. They might not even know what's going on but also tap your, your fellow believers in Christ and give them the opportunity to exercise their gifts well in their care for you. Because I promise you, they're very competent in being able to do so. God has equipped them to do it. And if we do this, there will be no division in the body. In verse 27, Paul um, looks at the Corinthians and he says this. He says, he says, you are the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. Now, you guys have been slugging your way through the letter of the Corinthians, so let me just remind you who the Corinthians are. The Corinthians arrogantly boast in their own wisdom while they remain totally divided. The Corinthians have members of their church committing sexual sin that is repulsive to people who are ungodly and don't even follow Jesus. The Corinthians have members of their church who are suing one another. The Corinthians have members of their church that are coming to the Lord's table and they're getting drunk and they're dividing from one another. The Corinthians have members of their church abusing their Christian freedom and flirting with idolatry. And the Corinthians are saying that some people have, are, are better Christians because they have better spiritual gifts than others. And Paul looks at them and you know what he says? You are the body of Christ. That's encouraging. Maybe as I've been talking, you've been thinking about all the ways that you've failed as a part of Christ's body. And that failure is leading you to shame. Don't, don't let your failure lead to shame. See your failure, but let it drive you instead to repentance, to turning to Jesus for help, confessing where you're at, and, and crying out to him for help to move forward. Because Paul looks at a raggedy church like the Corinthians and he says, you're the body of Christ. Christ is with you. He's filled you. You're a spiritual people. And so Crosspoint, despite our failures and stumbling, you're the body of Christ. You are. 
Do you believe it? Do you actually believe that God has filled you and empowered you for the work of ministry here? Do you actually believe you have everything you need to make Christ known here? I do. And I hope you're reminded of that this morning. Let's pray. God, you are so good. Um, I'm humbled to uh, share the word with this beloved church family this morning. And um, God, I hope that your word uh, goes forth in power, that your people are encouraged. But most of all, Lord, we want Christ to be lifted up. We want Christ to be glorified here. And so, Lord, as we come to the bread and the cup, as a church family, as we, we come to the table as one body, will we be, we be reminded of our unity in the midst of our differences? Will we be encouraged to lean into one another? Will we be encouraged to allow others to see our blemishes? And will we be encouraged to see that there is hope for us here, that you are at work and you are consistently redeeming your people? God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.